The gospel lesson comes to us this morning from the good news according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the gospel of our Lord. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know what one of the, if you have any uh, struggles living in New York City, I'm sure you do. I don't know what one jumps to the top of your list. Uh, near the top of mine about the hardest things for me living in New York City is actually just the noise. Uh, it's the noise pollution. It's the decibel levels. It's the sounds. It's the sirens. I live above, uh, I live nearby, uh, maybe 100 yards where the BQE is elevated. Uh, and so it just echoes uh, and there are hospitals all around. It just never stops. It didn't used to bother me when I was younger. I just didn't notice. It was just part of the excitement of the energy of the city. But now it's, it, it can be really frustrating. Uh, it, it contributes to my anxiety and my sort of alertness and just kind of being peaked all the time, you know. Uh, I may have told some of you this a uh, long time ago, if you have a really good memory, the Resurrection Clinton Hill folks. Uh, I, my last class in college was actually called The Science of Sound. Uh, it was a fun way to get a science credit, uh, just learn about how sound works. And uh, I love this. I use this from time to time, this illustration and metaphor, because it's really amazing. It's a miracle. If you think about how a sound works, uh, somewhere, let's just take my voice. A, a voice, you know, makes these vibrations in the air, and then the, 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 the vibrations go out somehow, and they fly through this space, and they land uh, in your ears, they're kind of caught, you know, and they're brought in, and then they tickle little hairs in your ear, and those things go, and they get trans transformed back into electrical currents, and then this electrical currents can go into your mind, and they can make you think new thoughts, and think new things, and react to them, and then if you let it, these thoughts can get down into your heart, and they can change how you feel, and think, and hope, and love, and then that can go into your will, and next thing you know, you're doing something differently, because someone persuaded you. Isn't that amazing? The voices that we follow 
and that we hear, and the sounds that we hear are everywhere. Think about all the voices that are constantly vying for your attention, some of which you resist and some of which you don't even realize have got you hook, line, and sinker. Could be your Twitter, could be your horoscope, it could just be voices of self-improvement, it could be the news, uh, sort of electoral politics that gets you going up or down. Some of these voices, I'm sure, are good and helpful, and some of them are bad and destructive. But the question we want to start with is, why do we allow certain voices to get down in there, through our minds, into our hearts, into our will, and change the way that we live? Why do we follow certain voices? And I would suggest, if you think about the voices that you let be the loudest in your life, that there's something ultimate in the land where we hope they're leading us to. That these voices will lead us to something true and good and beautiful or something we want to possess for ourselves or to to be. Something desirable and pleasing, something that will make us better. We think these voices are taking us to a destination, hopefully a refuge, a place where it would be nice to lie down by the streams of living water and have plenty to eat and to be taken care of, where we'd be safe and special and finally content. And so many of our voices promise exactly something like this in small or large ways, to take us somewhere we'd like to be, to be someone we'd like to become. And here's the problem as we begin reflecting on this. One way to describe our fallen condition, our brokenness, the the thing that keeps sneaking up to bite us in our humanity and our ability to flourish is that we, by default, tend to follow the wrong voices. Tend to hear the wrong ones, be intrigued by them, listen to them, and follow them. It is actually, and this is the most controversial thing I'll say to you probably, as Americans, most of you are, or Westerners, most of you, we are not actually free, just free, to follow whatever voice we wish. Our choices are never actually free. If by free we mean unfettered, uninfluenced, purely unstained and authentic, you know, that they just come from this well of our deepest real self and all of our desires are just pure natural desires and come from our deepest identity and we act it out. No, instead we are shaped and predetermined by the world and one another to hear certain voices over others. You all have heard, at least anecdotally, uh, of the idea of Pavlov's experiment where they had the assistant ring the bell every time it was time to feed the dogs. And after a while, they rang the bell but didn't feed the dogs. And the dogs would naturally salivate every time the bell was rung because they had become to associate it with food. They had a, what they called a conditioned response. And because of who we are, we are actually have been conditioned. We've been constrained to hear certain things to love certain things, and then to act in certain ways based on associations we've made, bell and food. We hear images, stories, experiences, feelings, movies, books, everything. Certain voices have conditioned us to produce certain responses in us that we can't actually help. We just salivate. I would suggest to you that not only are our responses not free or authentic, they're conditioned Uh, but that what we are preconditioned to hear is this story of individualism. This story that we 
are all have the American promise in front of us. We are all free to pursue our individual happiness with no constraints. And there should be no constraints to our freedom in pursuing our own happiness. It doesn't matter if you're listening to a conservative version of this story. You might go old school and watch Saving Private Ryan or Braveheart and be like, yes, it's so beautiful. I'm just moved. I can't help myself crying. Or it might be more political. Uh, I mean, it might be more progressive or liberal. You hear some story about somebody uh, finding them true self and bucking all the trends and norms that, that has ever been done before. And now they're free. It doesn't matter whether you're liberal or conservative. We have been conditioned to love the story of the individual finding freedom from constraints and discovering true self. This has been taught to us since we were born. I have a whole bunch of quotes here. I'm going to skip some of them, but I'll just, you'll have to take my word for it. There's books written on it. There's a group called the Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood, and they report that by six months old, babies are forming mental images of corporate logos and mascots. That babies request brands as soon as they can speak. And some studies show that by the time an American child is three years old, he or she can recognize an average of 100 brand logos. Marketing professor James McNeil calls it the drool factor. If you put your baby in a bib imprinted with an image of a branded character or in front of a video on a tablet, voila, you will have brand recognition from the crib. And these people know this and they're trying to exploit it. The point being, you have been conditioned You've been conditioned to get moved for just sneak past your, your defenses and you find yourself crying at something. It doesn't matter which voices you personally find authentic and worthy. We're all in this together. We've been conditioned to hear these other voices. And here's where there's a little more of a warning. Any voice that distracts you from the voice of Jesus will inevitably lead to a place of disaster. Jesus said this, when he has brought out all his own, when the shepherd has brought out all his own, he will go before them, the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow. They'll flee from that stranger. They don't know the voice of the strangers. And then later, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now think about it. Jesus was there in the ancient Near East, He's there, and at the time, there was a BQE cacophony of voices competing for everyone's attention. Talking about serve Rome, or fight Rome, or this Messiah, or that Messiah, or this way of living, or that way of living. And Jesus comes into this cacophony, all this noise, and he's one among many speakers. And his voice is calling out to them in the midst of this noise. He's speaking even to his enemies. And I mean this, his literal voice made sound waves that went through the ear, air into their ears and he intended to affect their thoughts and their feelings and their hearts and then their wills to turn them from the voices that were leading them away from him to turn them back to the voice of God himself. See, any voice that takes us further from God and from his presence, presence from his fullness of abundant life that he says is what he intends for us, that voice is a thief and a murderer. It can sing nicely, but it destroys. And now we have the ability, of course, through our phones to listen to literal voices every waking moment of the day. And so the challenge for us is to learn to hear and follow the voice of Jesus.
amidst all of this noise in our minds, in the airwaves around us, in our communities, to hear and follow the voice of Jesus. But why? There's a few reasons Jesus gives in this speech. He says that he, Jesus, he claims of himself that he is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. We are his sheep. Now we're mostly back in old times in Bible imagery now. We're far from New York City, right? We're talking about sheep and shepherds. Did you know that I happen to actually know a little bit about sheep? I used to have them. Uh, There's video evidence somewhere that I even rode one once, and it sprinted into a telephone pole and knocked me off. I can help a little bit. I'll try to help us learn about sheep this morning. See, because back then, Jesus, this wasn't just an agricultural metaphor. Sheep and shepherds and pins and gates and doors and folds were as relevant to them as if we were to talk about security systems and suburbs and sanctuary cities and small towns and Wall Street and Big Pharma. It's just the life, the world they lived in. And he's saying, I am like a shepherd, but you have to understand I am the good shepherd. And here are some things he wants us to know about the kind of shepherd that he is. He's a shepherd who knows his sheep. That's one thing that becomes apparent in this passage is the shepherd, it seems, never can really leave his sheep alone. Did you hear it when I read it earlier that there were constantly so many threats and dangers. They're coming to steal and kill and destroy. There's so many enemies out there that even when the sheep are gathered inside the pen, the shepherd can't really go home and come back in the morning. He has to stand there at the door and guard it from those who would come in and thieve and destroy the safety and the refuge of the community that he had made inside the pen. So shepherds are always around their sheep, and a good shepherd is one who is around his sheep all the time, leading them to different areas and protecting them and knowing everything about them. He knows what their strengths and weaknesses are. He knows which ones are prone to wander at which point along the path. He knows who is sick, who's feeling weak, He knows their enemies. And so there's this deep level of knowledge that the shepherd has of his sheep. And in verse 3, he says, there's a good example of how well he knows his sheep, that the shepherd actually calls them out each by name. Think about that. You've got all these sheep, and he decides that in order to get the one to go where he needs to go, and the other one maybe to stay still, and this one, he knows it's a little bum in the leg, and so we're going to take it easy here for you. He has to call them by name. He names each of his sheep, and he calls them by name so they'll respond to him. Another thing that makes Jesus the good shepherd is that he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses, what brings you joy, where and why you were grieving. He knows when you've been misunderstood, when you've been wronged. And there should be great comfort in being known so well. With shepherds and sheep, it's clear who needs who, right? In real life, there is no denying that the sheep are completely at the mercy of the shepherd. The shepherd knows how helpless the sheep are, and the sheep don't fool him. This just means for you... That Jesus doesn't only know the stuff that you want him to know, the good religious stuff. He also knows all the stuff you don't want anyone to know about you. 
The stuff you can't have anyone else know about you. The stuff that the marketers and everyone else wouldn't want you to be associated with their product. He knows when your best acts are for all the wrong reasons. He knows when you fooled everyone with your outward facade. And the fact that Jesus knows his sheep fully, that he knows all parts of us means that there is no more need to hide. There's no more need to dress it up, to pretend to be anything other than you are, which is a sheep in need. No need to put on airs or to pretend. He knows that you can't manage your life, you can't handle it sometime, that you lose your way, that you have enemies, and he comes to find you. American consumerism will not do any of these things for you, and no matter how much of their data they take from your online shopping and perusing, they don't know you the way that the Good Shepherd knows you. Even achieving your individualist dreams for yourself won't do this for you. There isn't a power inherent in there to protect you, to keep you safe, to know you, to steer you, and to help you. Only the shepherd who made you and who knows you better than you know yourself is strong enough to be the good shepherd for you. And that's good news because it means that he is strong enough to be the door, to be our place of entering in and out of going out to the place where the enemies are and having to navigate life, but then to come in for refuge and safety. The shepherd is with us. He says it this way, I tell you truly, I'm the door of the sheep. Everyone who came before me is thieves and robbers. So all these other people pretending to be the Messiah, pretending to have the way that if we just practice it like this, God will come back and save us. It's this technique, it's that. He says the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If you enter by me, you'll be saved. You'll go in and out and you'll find pasture. Jesus, in this sense, is the gate, the door, and the gatekeeper. He knows who gets in and out and how to bring us in and out. And this should be important to us. Bethany Albertson of the University of Texas and Shauna Gadarian of Syracuse University wrote a book called Anxious Politics, Democratic Citizenship in a Threatening World. And in their work, they found that what individuals want most when they are facing anxiety is certainty and protection. I quote, when we're anxious, we need to put our trust in someone to protect us. Someone like a gatekeeper or the thing that a gate is in, a wall, a fence, preferably with all sorts of alarm systems and maybe even snipers. People who are keeping the gate safe and this is, happens to us regularly in communities that we make. We get scared. We look for our version, whatever it may be, of a holy huddle. And we just want a big, bad shepherd to get up there and make sure we're safe. But Jesus says, I am the gate. If you come in and out through me, you will find pasture. You will be safe. So we're a sheepfold, and we have this guide in this dangerous life, and we have this place of refuge, and it is Jesus let me put it this way. What voices are you looking to that you think will offer you the shelter and protection that you need and the satisfaction that you need as a sheep would enjoy a pasture? What voices are you listening to the most? 
For example, is it the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg News, and that causes you to be stingy with your money toward God and others so you can finally, finally have the refuge of owning a home or having enough money saved up? Is it TED Talks or podcasts by artists or nonprofit entrepreneurs that you glean for a kind of personal fortune cookie towards success and a meaningful vacation and how you can find your place in the world? Guilty. Is it the ones that say, man, you have to, you have to put on a tough shell. You have to do or die. Get your own justice while you can because no one else is looking after number one but you. Is it your American high school or college curriculum that still keeps you from sharing your faith in Jesus with other people? Or is it voices of those you've known or within you that say you're no good, you're a failure, you're worthless? See, these voices within us and around us, Jesus says they are the enemy. They will destroy. They will slowly steal from you until you have nothing left. And he says, I came to protect you from them, to call out to you and to lead you to real life, to real shelter, and to life that is abundant. And that is the third reason to follow Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He is the door and our safety, and he promises to lead us to life. He talks like this to you, describing himself with us. He walks ahead of them, and sheep follow him. For they recognize his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him. For they don't recognize his voice. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You heard Katie read Psalm 23 earlier. This beautiful picture of a shepherd and sheep wandering around together. And again, the hard part here is that we have not been preconditioned by our culture and one another since the day we were born to hear and recognize the voice of Jesus. Instead, by our own interest and by the system, we have learned to hear and to salivate to all of these other voices with every notification and every story and every movie. We are not preconditioned to believe and to trust and to hear that Jesus is the voice that leads us to life and true life and abundant life. We don't hear, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted and think, yeah, oh, definitely. I need more mourning in my life, you know? But the good news is, the disciples weren't preconditioned to hear Jesus' voice either. In the passage, did you hear it when I read it earlier? He tells them he's the good shepherd and it says, they don't understand what the heck he's talking about. So he tried again. Starts talking about the door. They did not understand him when he said this verbally to them. He's literally talking to them. They can't make out his meaning. They can't hear him. They don't understand. But he keeps speaking to them. He keeps trying over and over again. They keep physically hearing his voice and personally following him like sheep following a shepherd. And eventually, eventually, they do begin to hear him. They begin to recognize his voice. We've been in the Easter accounts of Jesus raising from the, after he was raised from the dead. And don't you see it? Oh, they remembered. They suddenly understood. Oh, all these things he was saying that went over our heads. It didn't compute now. And they're in awe 
and their hearts are filled with love and joy in every occasion that we read this happening. You may not understand the voice of Jesus when he tells you to follow him now, to listen to his voice above every voice. It may not make sense to you. It may not move you when you hear what he says about what it means to live a life that leads towards flourishing and justice for all, when he talks about money or the use of our bodies or our freedom or our hopes or our vision of success, our need for justice. See, his voice is so often at odds with the voices of this world. And maybe we can't naturally hear him yet. But if you will follow, he will keep speaking to you. He will keep speaking to you until you hear his voice. Until it gets through there and down into your heart and into your will and changes the way you live and leads you to a place that is more life-giving and flourishing. See, right now, you're hearing my voice. It's a second tenor. It's amplified presently, which allows me to speak to you in a more natural conversational tone, less of a theatrical projected one. I use a bit of a dynamic range once in a while just to keep it interesting because it's just the way I talk conversationally. And to my total horror, more than yours, that the Bible says what I'm doing right now is trying to allow my vocal cords to be the instrument upon which the Holy Spirit speaks to you the voice of Jesus. First Peter chapter 4, let anyone who teaches treat it as the voice of God. You, along with the church's pastors and the elders and the creeds, you are here to listen and to judge and discern and to try to hear the voice of Jesus even in and through my words, to hear it working in your life. And we are to do this one for another. And so let me give us three simple applications to hear and to recognize the voice of Jesus. One, listen. Listen for it. It's not going to happen in the cacophony of noise unless you're finding time and places in which you can be in a posture of listening. See, we can't silence the noise in our heads. We can't silence the noise in the world. We can't make everyone to stop shouting. We can't even turn the sirens off. But what you can do is turn down the volume on all the other voices to make room to hear the voice of Jesus. Listen. That quote at the beginning of your bulletin, I can just read it for you if you didn't read it already. Andrew Sullivan, he writes this. We didn't go from faith to secularism in one fell swoop. Certain ideas and practices made others not so much false as less vibrant or relevant. And so modernity slowly weakened spirituality by design and accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. We have to find time to listen. And when we listen, then learn. To learn. The disciples just walked around. They didn't understand him at the time, but they just stuck with him. Even when things were scary, they trust him to be their shepherd. And shepherds, by the way, back then, they're tough people. They're like pirates, basically. I mean, they're not all evil. I'm just saying they're tough You have to fight off lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, you know? They walked with him. They trusted him. And they learned about him and what he was doing. And so for us, we learn to recognize God's voice as we learn. Study his voice in history from Genesis to Revelation. You have this beautiful Bible in front of you. 
Study it and learn to listen to kinds of things that come through over and over and over and over again and repeat themselves. Study primarily Jesus and the gospel, these four accounts that we have of his life and death and resurrection and ascension. It's why we prioritize throughout the year the life of Jesus in our liturgy and also in our readings and in our preaching. Study the Bible and do it in community as they did. I don't understand. Did you think, what did he mean by this? I don't know. Oh, here he is. He's telling us it's another parable. What, did you understand that? No. They're in community. You get together. You learn. You learn to study and to hear his voice. You can learn it in prayer as you begin to recognize the voice of God speaking to you, even if it's not verbally, just assuring you through the scriptures and in other ways to learn to recognize the voice of Christ. And lastly, love. Listen, learn, and love. You begin to understand Jesus' voice and to hear it and recognize it when you realize that it is the voice of love. One thing I haven't said in public in a sermon before, uh, I've said it to many people in private when they ask, but my father, Michael Allen Galt, suffers from very brutal dementia. He's lost his powers of speech, uh, and so he mostly just says, sure, 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 over and over again. Uh, and it's a terrible, brutal disease. I hate it. But still, when I go to see my dad, we can't talk anymore. We can't talk shop. We can't really talk about anything. I talk to him, but I'm not sure what he understands. He talks to me, and sometimes I understand because he gets excited. I can see in his eyes. He points at something, and I get an idea. But what I want you to know is that even though we don't have the ability to converse anymore, I will recognize my dad's sheer, sheer, sheer. I recognize his voice even through this sheer, sheer, sheer because it's got the same tone that I've been hearing since I was in my mother's womb. I can hear my dad's love even through his voice. It's the voice that has loved me my entire life. And when he hears my voice, I can tell he perks up and there's some recognition because he hears the son who loves him. If you are hearing the voice of Jesus, it will become the voice of love. And you will begin to hear the voice of Christ's love all around you. And you'll know when someone else is giving you a message that is intended to harm you, even if it's meant well. And you'll know when someone, even incidentally or accidentally, says something to you that makes you feel loved. And you'll recognize the voice of Jesus in that. It will lead to a way of life where there is more love of God, more love of neighbor, more love of yourself in Christ, and more love of this world through the eyes of Christ. See, Jesus is not just a voice of power. He's not just a voice of truth. He's a voice of all of these things. But his voice is a voice of love. And you will begin to recognize it and understand it, cutting through all the other noises and sounds. If you keep listening for it, learning and seeing that Jesus' voice was always the voice of love, and then beginning to be able to understand it and recognize it here in this place, together. You will be able to do this if you believe not only that Jesus' voice is the voice of love, but that he is leading you to a destination that is a refuge, 
that all that he wants for you besides your love and attention and to receive his love and attention is to receive his protection and to be led in and out and you're coming and going to pasture, to safety and adventure and back to rest and protection. And lastly, to a beautiful place of abundant life and feasting and joy. To believe that there are green pastures waiting for you if you listen to the voice of love in Jesus and a table. Psalm 23 ends with my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus loves you, friends. I pray this morning that you hear his voice speaking in these words and that you take it to heart and that it changes the way you live. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.